Don't want to work forever? Once you can cover your living expenses with passive income, your day job becomes optional and you reach financial independence. You then have complete control over your time, your money, and your life in general. Spark Rental founders Denny Suplee and Brian Davis, me, are here to help you build rental income, ditch your day job, and do what matters most to you. So on that note, let's jump into today's episode, which, like all of our episodes, was recorded live. Hey guys, happy Tuesday. Hi everyone, how are you? We are super excited to be with you this Tuesday afternoon, as always. So last week we talked about five ways to guarantee on-time rent payments. We talked about things like accepting credit cards, reporting rents to the credit bureaus, uh, you know, rent default insurance, serving eviction notices immediately, all those sorts of good things. This week we are switching gears and we're talking about different real estate investing niches and how they compare. So we're gonna go through things like manufactured homes and section eight, housing, short-term rentals, raw land, mobile home parks, all that good stuff. So as you guys join us, please let us know where you're tuning in from. Don't hesitate to fire questions at us. This is an interactive broadcast. This is not your typical pre-recorded in advance podcast. This is all about you guys. So say hi to us, let us know where you're tuning in from. Fire your questions Absolutely. at us. So. Denny, let's let's jump right in here and start with something that is a little bit more mainstream compared to some of these other real estate niches that we're going to talk about. Let's talk about Section 8 housing, which is not too far from the normal rental investing that, that you and I talk about. So uh, can you walk us through some of the pros and cons of, of Section 8 housing? I mean, the pro is why I think most people get involved in it, especially in um, neighborhoods that are harder to rent out. Um, and that is that it's it's guaranteed rent, um, or at least like depending on where you are, 80 to 85% of the rent. Um, and that's great. Um, but unfortunately, you know, you have to take the good with the bad. And there are some challenges with Section 8 housing and a lot of red tape. You're dealing with a government entity here, gov the government. So there's um, a ton of paperwork inspections out the woohoo. And, <laughs> and then they come back at you and tell you to fix this and fix that and fix this and fix that. So, I mean, there is a lot. And some of the stuff they have you fixing is kind of ridiculous in my opinion only. And, um, if you have a problematic tenant, it can be really, really hard to evict them. So there, that's that's a big one too because it, you know, it's not just non-payment of rent. I'm, there's a lot of other reasons that a tenant can cause problems, and sometimes the non-payment of the rent is the easier part of the spectrum. It's these other areas that are hard anyway. But when you have a Section Eight housing, it's harder. So, I mean, I've, I've worked with Section 8 tenants before, and my experiences have mostly been negative. Um, you know, you do get that guaranteed rent check every month, or at least for a portion of it, but it comes with all kinds of other problems, like you said, Denny. And um, it's worth backing up just one moment here and explaining that Section 8 housing, these, these are normal housing units that you happen to have uh, voucher holding tenants move into. But you don't have to buy properties that are specifically designated for Section 8. There's actually, well, I'm not going to say there's no such thing because 
there actually is like a legacy program with the federal government going back to the 80s. But in today's world, you don't buy housing that's specific to Section 8. You buy a regular rental property. And, and then you decide. To, right. You, and then you rent it to a voucher holder. Um, now, a lot of investors who invest in lower end neighborhoods do specifically buy these properties with the intention of renting them to Section 8 voucher holders. Um, but, you know, to, to sum it up quickly, because I don't want to get too bogged down in Section 8 here, uh, you know, we'll talk about Section 8. We'll give that its own episode at some time in the future. But um, the problem with these annual inspections is that, in my experience, every single year, the inspector would find two to three grand worth of stuff to, to list up for me in a punch-out list. And I couldn't figure it out because, you know, all the stuff that they would have me do every year was stuff that was pre-existing the previous year that they inspected it. So I was like, well, this was, this wasn't, you know, working last year, but not working now, you know, right. these are all the same things. And eventually I discovered that what was happening is the inspector was writing up this punch out list as a way of proving to their supervisor that they had hit every property on their rounds. So, you know, so the logic behind and, and there is going to be that bureaucracy when you're dealing um, with with a government entity like this. So, I mean, it's to be expected. But right. on the positive side of things with the eviction moratorium, it can be a bit of a hedge of protection. So. Well, that's true. <laughs> uh, any, any last comments you want to make about Section 8 before we move on? Just that um, we have a link that we'll put in our um, comments. And if you want to read more about it, the ins and outs and all that, uh, just click on that link. Yeah, so I just shared that link in the comments. And it, it's a, a much more detailed analysis of the pros and cons of Section 8 if you're thinking about investing in um, lower end properties and, and marketing specifically to Section 8 tenants. And just so um, full disclosure or whatever disclaimer, I'm not, and I don't believe Brian is against Section 8 tenants or landlords who choose to go involved in this. This is just an opinion and, and re reality of some of the stuff that you have to deal with. So I, we've, we've gotten a few comments that, you know, you shouldn't hate Section 8. I don't hate Section 8. <laughs> Anyway. No, I mean, you know, <laughs> we don't hate it. We're here in business. We're not, we're not here to, to have such strong feelings as hate about any of this stuff. No. So. <laughs> really? It's about the uh, bottom but line. But I've had, I've had some bad experiences with Section 8, and I've, I've known other landlords who have had good experiences with it as well. Um, but you have to be really careful in your tent screening um, oh. because there are, yeah, I mean, there's basically two camps of Section 8 tenants. There are the people who are, you know, truly uh, grateful to have the government assistance and, you know, people who need the help. And then there's another camp of, you know, totally entitled people who just think that they deserve to have their free rent paid by the government. And anyway, um, let's move on to the next niche here, short-term rentals and, and corporate rentals as well, like midterm corporate rentals. Right. Danny, what are your, what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, tell us some of the basics here. Well, I mean, whether it's vacation, short term or, um, you know, executive housing, whatever, um, I think that when COVID, I mean, it's, it's always been a good niche, but when COVID hit, everybody was like, you know, running from it, um, but it actually didn't even affect it that long of a time. Um, cause, months, really. yeah, I mean, it actually set the tone for a boom 
is what it did because there was all of a sudden these traveling health professionals and so forth and so on and they needed short term so it just kind of moved into into that a little bit and then we couldn't fly so we couldn't take the far away vacation so everybody was taking mountain and shore vacations so they opened back up and um so now yeah well, especially with everyone telecommuting. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we did a, uh, we held a webinar, a joint webinar a couple months ago with Al Williamson, who specializes in teaching uh, Airbnb rentals and also midterm corporate rentals. So uh, I'm going to share a link to, he's got a, an entire course and program all about it, um, including how to build a short-term rental business without actually buying any properties. It's an awesome system uh, where he uses, he uses rental arbitrage to build a portfolio of income properties without actually having to buy those properties. No down payments required. So cool to me. I mean, it was, that blew my mind. It really did. I mean, it's, and it's possible. I mean, it's all of a sudden I'm driving around and I see these as executive suites. That's what he did. He had, he had me open my eyes to how, and they are busy right now and their parking lots are full and oh my goodness, you got his, his information is like just great. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, check out his, his course if you're interested in, in either short-term Airbnb rentals or mid-term corporate rentals. Uh, all right. So moving on to number three, manufactured homes. Benny, what do, what do people need to know about that niche? Well, um, it's not bad either. It's cheaper to get involved in. Um, it's, you know, their homes are cheaper. Um, financing might be a little funny, but not as tough, I believe, and you'd have to talk to your mortgage person to get into as far as it like a single family home or a multi small multi. Um, you do have to know that there's going to be either lot lot rent or you're going to own your plot of land. Um, there are some different landlord tenant regulations in some states for mobile homes as opposed to regular uh, single family. And um, you really need to check this out because I've seen people get in trouble with it is a lot of them have like, they're like condos and some of them don't allow rentals. So you just got to be careful that you don't just impulsively buy one without finding that out first, because then you're stuck with it and you don't have anything. To do with it. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. It's a great, um, way to, to get involved. Yeah, with, with a lower down payment, most often, and a lower purchase price. Um, rewinding a second here, Christina Cullen says, uh, it was bad in city areas where there were restrictions like New York City, but there was a boom in uh, short-term rentals in suburban areas uh, away from the big city. Uh, and of course, you know, as you mentioned, Danny, you know, some of these um, vacation areas, you know, particularly in the mountains or on the shoreline, um, as people could telecommute, you know, they got out of some of those big cities like New York City, um, like LA and San Francisco and Chicago, and they hunkered down in these beautiful resort towns and just worked from there for a few months. Uh, and in many cases, moved there permanently. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, you know, one, one other last thought about buying short-term rentals or mid-term corporate rentals. Um, you can switch these the use of these rental properties back and forth as the market conditions change, right? So you can buy a property uh, intending to use it as a long-term rental or intending to use it as a short-term vacation rental. Uh, 
And you know, you can play around with different uses for that and just see where the cash flow is better for you. Uh, you know, maybe the if cash flow is better as a rental property or as a, a long-term rental property. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe a cash flow is better as a vacation home. So you, you can buy these and switch, you can experiment with different uses. Um, you know, if Al Williamson were sitting here, he would tell us that you know, by far his best returns always came from from corporate rentals. Um, you know, people like travel nurses or or business people who are traveling for a few months at a time. So, uh, but you don't have to lock yourself in to the use with these properties. You can uh, you can experiment with different rental uses for these. Absolutely. So, switching gears away from manufactured homes, uh, one of the most popular investments over the last couple of years has actually been mobile home parks. Um, we buy the entire park and we'll, we'll share a case study here in a second, but, uh, nearly 6% of the U S, uh, population, uh, close to 18 million people presently live in mobile homes and mobile home parks. So it's a sizable chunk of the population. And, you know, according to Ari Nami, Arianami, um, <laughs> easy for me to say, um, it's actually has the off these mobile home parks offer the highest cap rates of any type of income real estate. That's crazy. So yeah, and we'll we'll share a link here to uh, to, to cite that uh, <laughs> to cite them. Um, but yeah, I mean it, these these have been discovered. You know, for a long time these were kind of considered lowbrow investments, and there was no like prestige associated with it. So people kind of thumbed their nose at them. Uh, but the fact is, these mobile home parks perform really well. <laughs> they yeah. perform better than, you know, according to some sources anyway, like Ariadne, uh, perform better than any other type of, of income property. So uh, the, the case study here that I want to share, it's from a blogger that uh, I really like, Mr. 1500 uh, of 1500days.com. So I'll share both the original post outlining where he bought this uh, mobile home park back in 2017. Uh, and then I'll share the more recent post where he does a postmortem uh, after selling the mobile home park a few months ago. He sold it, I think, in January 2021. Um, but he and his partners bought this trailer park for $170,000, and they sold it for about $350,000 uh, over the course of like three and a half years. Wow. So. So it was more than a 100% return. Now, that being said, they did put a lot of work into cleaning it up. You know, they, they got rid of the deadbeat tenants. Um, they spruced up the, the grounds a little bit. You know, they, they professionalized the management of it. So, you know, they did put in some, some effort here. Um, but it's not like buying a shell and then gutting it and totally renovating it. This is more like cleanup um, and professionalization of the management. and... Yeah. Right. Right. So we're not talking about the same kind of renovation budget here. Um, it, it's more just professionalizing it. Um, so, but yeah, it's a super interesting pair of articles. You know, both you know the initial purchase of it, and then the postmortem of you know what exactly they did, what went right, what was difficult or challenging, uh, and of course their profits on it, uh, which is fun to see. So. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Mr. 1500, you know, check out 1500days.com. It's a cool blog. It's a fire blog, financial independence, early retirement blog. Um, anyway, good stuff. <laughs> so yeah, check out check out mobile home parks as a niche if you've never considered them before. There is there's good money to be made there. 
and they have skyrocketed in, in value over the last few years. Um, so, you know, you could make a case, oh, all the easy money has already been made there, but I, I don't think so. I think it will continue to, to rise rather sharply or, and potentially much more sharply than your typical single family home uh, values in the US. All right, moving on to number five, self-storage units. Denny, tell us a little bit about these. It's crazy. I was telling you before we um, came live that um, my husband is a contractor and he was working for somebody who owned a self-storage unit nearby and they have seen oh. such an uptick in occupancy and overall they generally have definitely more of a vacancy than than a you know apartment complex or whatnot and I um, started to delve into it a little bit and there it's, it's booming right now you know I guess you know people have stuff and you know, I, I don't know. They just, so they <laughs> put them in storage. And um, I, I just saw that it was an 87, over 87.65 billion market in 2019. And they're expecting it to go to 152 or 115, sorry, billion in uh, 2000 by 2025. So that's Not crazy. <laughs> no. No, yeah. it isn't. And, um, you know, it, there's no need to evict. You know, you send a notice out, a couple notices, and then you sell their stuff and you could make money on that too. <laughs> I mean, they have that show. I forget what it's called, but it's where they auction off the insides of a um, storage unit. So, I mean, it's it's a business. And there's not many repairs. I mean, it's like a cement little hole that you're, um, and in some cases you're just letting people park mobile homes or whatnot on, on a lot. So there's like no little to no repairs and hardly any management. I mean, you, <laughs> most people, it's all electronic. Now you just buzz yourself in, go to your unit and leave. So you don't have to have people there all the time. And I, I'm, it's, it's not a, not a bad idea. Yeah, not at all. And, and there's there's virtually no risk of tenant damage to the property. You're not going to have maintenance calls at 3 a.m. Uh, you're not going to have noise complaints. You know, you skip all those hassles. You know, it's not regulated the way that residential real estate is regulated. You know, Denny and I have, have gotten away from residential real estate and some of our own investments. Um, and I can't speak for, for you, Denny, but, but for me, part of it is about getting away from the, the heavy regulations in residential real estate and the, the anti-landlord climate right now um, and vibe out there. Um, but you don't have to worry about any of that stuff with, with self-storage units. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, just circle it back around to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. I think we are seeing uh, higher occupancy rates among these self-storage units because people are, are moving and people are so much more mobile today than they were 15 months ago. Uh, because so many more people can telecommute, right? So you have people making these sudden moves and storing some of their stuff that they can't take with them initially. So you are seeing this big jump in, in uh, self-storage business. And if you have like a, a standalone garage or a detached garage or whatnot, I, I've done this and have made money on it. It was like the easiest money I ever made because again, I gave them a key and they just came in and out and you know, I didn't have to worry about anything. It's yeah, yeah. 
There are a few websites where you can list your storage space. Uh, Sparefoot is one. Um, uh, it's not neighbor.com. I, I, but yeah, there, there are there are a few of them out there where you can you list, you, you rent out your spare storage space in your home to other people. And it's much cheaper than, you know, renting out a, an entire storage unit. Um, so that, that can be an easy way to start if you happen to have extra storage space uh, in your own home. But yeah, look into investing in self-storage uh, businesses because it can, it can be a very lucrative way to invest in real estate. All right. The what can you tell us about lands? <laughs> yeah. So, so number six, the, the final niche in our real estate investing uh, alternatives here that we're going through raw land, undeveloped land. Um, you know, so it shares that advantage where you're not going to get any maintenance calls, right? Because there's nothing, there's no building to maintain. You don't, it's not regulated the way that residential properties are regulated. Um, you're not going to have noise complaints from tenant. You're not going to have any of that stuff. Um, so, you know, I mean, there, there's a, a course that we've actually uh, gone through ourselves, uh, Land Geek, and they, they joke, no tenants, no toilets, no termites, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, all the big headaches of, <laughs> of investing in, in rental properties. Um, and by the way, we've, we've added a link in the, uh, the comments here to that main course. It's a great course, by the way. It's very comprehensive. Um, and what they go through with you is how to buy properties that are in uh, land parcels that are in tax sale at 25 cents on the dollar, basically. And then you turn around and you can either wholesale them to other investors or you can sell them retail uh, to neighbors or to people who want some extra land in the countryside. Um, and I mean, you can earn between 100 and 300% returns on these properties. Um, you know, so the, the returns are much higher than for residential real estate. And that being said, there is a lot of work involved uh, in this. I mean, you know, you're sending out mass mailing campaigns. Um, so in some ways, it, it's very much a, a business. Uh, so, you know, to call to say return on the return on investment on each lot may be super high, but you also have these ongoing, uh, you know, business expenses such as the mailing campaigns and, uh, and so forth. And there's some work involved in the due diligence, of course. Um, but it's, it's, a, uh, it's a great business model. And um, once you get it down, it, it runs a little smoother. So it isn't as time intensive. Yeah, absolutely. And you can, you can automate a lot of it. You can delegate a lot of it to virtual assistants. Um, and we're actually going to share a second land course here as well that we like. Um, our friend Seth Williams over at RE Tipster has a great land investing course as well. Super knowledgeable guy. You know, there are, there are not many people in this country that know more about land investing than either Seth Williams or Mark Rodolsky. Um, you know, these, these are like the two experts on land investing in, uh, in the U.S. So uh, check out those two courses if you're interested in land investing. And by the way, uh, when you buy land parcels, each individual parcel can be quite cheap. I mean, Denny and I, we've bought some, some land parcels for between $500 and $1,000. Um, and that's, it's, I don't know, it's probably for like an acre or two of land a piece. Which um, blew my mind, to be honest with you, when, when this, you know, we started first. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, the, the, the last one that we bought, uh, we, we paid about $1,000 for it. And our estimates are that the retail value is between $5,000 and $7,000 for this lot. So the returns on that lot are going to be quite, uh, quite nice. <laughs> you know, we're going we're to you know, pop a bottle of champagne when, uh, when, we, when we sell that, that parcel. Um, but you know, it does not take a lot of money to invest in raw land, is my point. 
So, you know, if you're if you're not working with a lot of money and you're looking for an inexpensive way to get started in real estate investing, raw land could be a great way to do it. Danny, what did, what did I miss there as far as land investing? Is there anything you want to add to that? No, I don't think so. I think it's I think you covered it. All right. Well, to give a, a quick recap here of the six real estate investing niches that you know, if you're if you're looking for something a little bit alternative because residential property prices are too high for you right now. So the first is Section Eight housing. Um, again, these are regular homes that you buy that you then uh, can turn around and, and market specifically to Section Eight tenants if you choose. So one Section Eight housing, two is short-term rentals through Airbnb or uh, corporate rentals. You know, more mid-term leasing. Number three is manufactured homes. Number four is mobile home parks. Number five is self-storage facilities. And number six is raw land. And next week, by the way, we are bringing on a special guest, bringing on Ali Boone of Hipster Investments. And Ali is going to talk to us all about turnkey investing long distance. She operates a turnkey rental company that, uh, you know, they, so they source turnkey properties all over the US. They've got some in Chicago and Texas and Indianapolis. I mean, she works all over the place. So her company, Hipster Investments, all uh, long-term, or I'm sorry, long-distance uh, turnkey rental properties to help you buy properties out of state. So it'll be a super fun interview. She's super fun herself. So uh, yeah, next Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Join us as we talk to Ali Boone of Hipster Investments. Absolutely. All right. Well, on that note, uh, let us know what you guys want to hear about moving forward. Um, shoot us. You can either message us on Facebook Messenger. Um, or you can email us at support at sparkrental.com. Let us know what you want to hear about. And we, we do listen to these. We read all these ourselves and we typically get our ideas for these podcast episodes from you, from your requests and your questions. So don't be a stranger. Reach out and, uh, and let us know what you want to hear about. And we will catch you guys next Tuesday. Absolutely. Have a great Tuesday and keep safe. All right. See you then. Bye-bye. Did you know we offer a free eight video course on how to reach financial independence with real estate? It's super bingeable with each video around 10 minutes long, but packed with information. Visit sparkrental.com learn for instant access. And please don't forget to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. And we will catch you on the flip side.